something going on with me right now this past, this coming year. I've already started. I'm hosting preaching clinics and teaching clinics. And um, people at different ages, different places in their walk. I'm of a belief that the greatest untapped resource in the history of civilization is the laity in the church, the body of Christ. I'm of a mind that there is, even within this congregation and many others, itinerant preachers and people who can fill pulpits, teach the word, and I'm doing what little I can to, to sit down and talk with people about that. If you have any interest in maybe cultivating your gift that you, you think you have, and communicating God's word, I don't have all the answers, certainly, but I'd certainly love to help. So if you want to become a teacher of the Word of God, you think you're gifted in that area, I'd love to help that too. One of the things that just notify the church, we'd love to follow up with you, get you involved, get you plugged in. Well, one of the things that we, we talk about in these clinics is uh, titles to messages. So uh, titles to messages, you know, are usually an afterthought, something that you come up with because you have to. So, so let's start with this title, Tearing Down or Tearing Up. So you think about that and you... You go, well, that, what could that be? It could be like tear down that wall, that Berlin Wall, like tear that down, or tear down an ideology, or tear down an argument. Paul did that in Acts chapter 17 on Mars Hill, Areopagus. He tore down an argument, or tearing something up, like a contract, or an assignment, or a shopping list. You know, would this be, so the question would be, would this be an appropriate topic to preach in a church? Would it, would it be relevant enough for people to actually do something with? Like, what would I do if I stood up here for 30 minutes and talked about tearing something up or tearing something down? And the fact of the matter is, uh, there's some of that in the Bible. You, God tears down the walls of uh, Jericho, Joshua 6. George, uh, Joseph was almost torn to pieces by a wild beast in Genesis 37. Uh, the Apostle Paul was almost torn apart by guards in Acts chapter 23, verse 10. So I, I guess it has some relevance. Um, do not give to, to, what is holy to what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under your feet, or turn and tear you in pieces, Matthew 7, 6. So, yeah, I guess if you wanted to put a message together about tearing up or tearing down, you could find a way to do that. You could communicate some kind of principle through the Scripture, and I guess that would be okay, but it's not okay. It is okay, but it's not okay. It's not okay because it, it falls too much in line, as far as I'm concerned, it falls too much in line with stuff we've already heard before. It's just another version of another message labeled something different, titled something different, that basically says the same thing. I'm very much aware of uh, redundancy and, quite frankly, the need for it. Redundancy oftentimes is the law of learning, but at the same time, somebody who has the responsibility to communicate truth to other people has to deviate from the norm and doesn't have to be what everyone, and do what everyone else is doing. So if I was to give you a message on tearing down something or tearing something up, I guess that would be okay, but that's not going to happen today. Although... We're going to keep the same title. So how are we going to keep the same title and address a totally different subject? Because I want to talk to you about what I consider to be a fairly peculiar phenomenon. In fact, I think it's so common, we see it almost every day, but I'm not sure we understand it, nor do we understand its importance. I think 
we totally miss it. I think God has communicated something to us about this particular topic with the very same title that we have yet to unpack, that yet we have yet to understand the power of it and its usefulness and effectiveness in ministry. It is a topic that in my estimation, as I prayed about this, is it demands, it actually demands, because of our our lack of depth of understanding on this topic, it demands a a biblical light, an an examination under a biblical light, a bright one. I want to share with you something this morning that I just feel led to share that I think is going to make a difference in your life, and it's probably on a subject you've never heard preached before. Not really in, in this manner with this intent. And because the subject matter will come at you in a way that you're not totally accustomed to, I want to ask you to give me permission to finish the message before you actually think as though I am actually condemning you because I'm not. I want to encourage you. If you say somewhere in this message, I'm not sure that's me, that's just not how I'm wired, I'm asking you to reserve judgment until you let the word of God speak to you on this subject. Because it is our early conclusions on this subject that keep us from the power and the purpose that God has for it. And we don't want to miss that. So here we go. Same title, altogether different topic. The title is now, Tearing Down or Tearing Up. I want to talk to you today about weeping. I want to talk to you today about tears. I want to talk to you this morning about Jesus. I want to talk to you today about another level of impact, belief, and prayer, and intercession. A more biblical impact. A less cultural definition. What can we reasonably conclude about this topic? We are called to follow Christ. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Christ inhabits those who are born again. Therefore, within you, within all of us, is a never-changing Christ who calls us to emulate and follow him, knowing that we were made in his image and he indwells us, and Jesus wept. Therefore, the absence of tears, the absence of that level of authenticity is contrary to the very Lord that has taken residence in your heart. And it is not his intention for you to have a dichotomy between he and you and him and I. You're a keeper. In his eyes, you're a keeper. But he's also a weeper. And he has called us to feel. He's called us to expression. He's called us to authenticity in keeping with who he is, who he has been, and who he will always be until 
the day when he wipes every tear from every person's eyes. In the meantime, you and I, regardless of your generation, regardless of your parents, regardless of your father, you and I are called to follow he who weeps on behalf of those who hurt and weeps and prays, and he doesn't change, and he's in us. Therefore, I got to draw the conclusion, if A equals B, B equals C, then A equals C. I never thought I'd use that, but I finally found a way to make it useful in my life. <laughs> I had a geometry teacher by the name of Miss Hamburger, and I got thrown out of her class one day because I said, Miss Hamburger, I'm way behind. I just can't catch up. <laughs> and she said, young man, you ain't cutting the mustard. Get out of here. <laughs> it's true. Culturally speaking, Lance, that was funny. You, that was funny. You, thank you. You're over there like, why did he do that? Culturally speaking, certainly from a masculine standpoint, this is changing. But the greatest generation, the greatest generation, the World War II generation, wouldn't think of crying. It would be a sign of weakness. It would uh, somehow degrade your masculinity. I don't know where Jesus would stand on that with you. But the greatest generation may still have something great to learn. We are called to weep. Not for weeping's sake. We're called to a level of compassion. We're called to a level of concern. We're called to a level of empathy that would elicit, because of the way we were made, in keeping with not only the physiology of how we are created by our Creator, but also the image of the Creator, the, the, creator, the, the, the essence of who we are, the soul of who we are, and the spirit of who we are. We should be people that are not totally void of tears. That's the first thing I'm going to tell you. So, not condemning you, I'm just saying, would you be open? Let's go further. No tears and no shedding of tears may cost you bravado and masculinity and superiority. Generationally speaking, our upbringings of some, not all, and the conditioning there, therewith is, is such that we, we don't really go there. Uh, I want to go so far as to say that's a contradiction to call oneself a follower of Christ and to be void of tears. Uh, the ministry of Jesus without tears is nowhere to be found in the Bible. There is a level of love that is beyond words, that is manifested in us physiologically, that comes from our heart. That's the way we were made. And Jesus, being fully God and fully man, wept. Let's keep going. Culturally speaking, that's one thing. Generationally, maybe that's another, but biblically speaking, tears are evidence of 
and a demonstration of our humanity. You can't escape the fact that we're human. Jesus, condescending, oh my gosh, left the, f- the throne room of heaven and condescended to our level and became human as our representative. And the fullest expression of humanity, I mean the fullest expression of humanity is Christ. And he wept. It's interesting to me. There's no biblical reference to Jesus' laughter, but a plethora of references to his tears. What does that imbalance say to you and me in this century, in this moment, in your marriage, as a grandfather, as a grandmother, as a follower, as a disciple? Where are we? I've told you time and time again, I cannot and will not allow this congregation to gravitate towards an acceptance of a status quo when in reality there's still something richer and deeper still on the road of discipleship that brings you to more of a Christ expression of himself through you and through me. You don't need to become a weeper. You and I need to become people who allow the weeper within us to weep through us. You and I don't need to become better evangelists. We need the greatest evangelist who is within us to evangelize through us. You don't have to be the greatest, most wonderful, uh, loving person in the world. Don't want it, don't need it, nobody cares. What we need is the greatest, the definition of love, the essence of love, Christ who is love, to love other people through us. And because he doesn't change, he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, and he's a weeper. He's still a weeper. He just can't use some of us. For whatever reason, he's not allowed to use some of us. Now, that's one area of life. Now, there are others. Let's go on. Tears demonstrate our deepest humanity, and tears reflect an appropriate response to deep pain, severe loss, ungodly betrayal. Physiologically speaking, you and I are made so that our eyes are washed thousands of times a day as we blink. In the physical, physiological world, that's reality. In a spiritual realm, I truly believe this. We lack clarity and vision for our lives, our families, our businesses if we withhold from weeping. I think there's a spiritual dynamic when the tenderness of one's heart, the softness, the pliability, the humility, the teachability of one's heart will from time to time elicit tears, that washes the lack of clarity in our spiritual life. Notice when Israel, notice when Bible figures are the most confused, the least clear about direction, they're the furthest from weeping. When when Elijah finally breaks down and the brook dries up and his depression is overwhelming, and it's the weeping that got him to see at the outside of the cave where he needed to go from there. Jesus wept. 
The absence of tears reflect a buried, suppressed humanity. They reveal a possible dry, arid, and hardened heart. These are strong words, but they line up with the scripture. Your heart is fuller. For those of you who, 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 who don't weep, they, you have no reason to weep. You don't see any need to weep. You don't, just a tear or two, never shed a tear. I'm, I'm asking you to question the condition of your heart. I, I'm asking you to take inventory of that phenomenon. I, I'm asking you to look at the dichotomy and the difference between Christ who is in you, who weeps and weeps abundantly, and you who don't. That's fair. That is a fair question to ask. Because from a man who wants nothing more to be a pastor that brings you from where you are to where he wants you to be. Ask that question. What is in the way between us and that Christ expressing himself through us? What's keeping him from coming out in that manner? Is it the result of distraction? What is it? Is it self-absorption? What is it? It's something, I don't know what it is. I have seasons like this in my own life. I'll tell you when I am the most tenderhearted. I'll tell you when I am the most touched. I'll tell you when I see something that it elicits in me tears. And it's, it's direct, I can tell you this, it's directly related to having been in the spirit having been in the Word, having been at church, you show me something of someone hurting on a Sunday afternoon, it'll elicit tears in me that Tuesday afternoon in the middle of whatever I got going on may never do. There's something of the Spirit, there's something of the tenderization of the Spirit on your heart that causes one to see things at a deeper level, to experience things emotionally at a different level. You see, the Spirit moves the body and the body cries. The Spirit moves the Spirit and the emotions rise to the occasion. The Spirit raises the Spirit and Christ comes out. Where are you? Some may say, I don't see many reasons to cry. My life is, you just said it, my. My life is great. Things are good. I'm secure. I'm secure in my relationships. I'm secure in my bank account. I'm secure in my job. I'm secure. I'm secure in the Lord. I'm not talking about your life. I'll give you some reasons, perhaps, you and I both need to be reminded of. It's been mentioned here from this pulpit, even today, the repentance of our own sin. Does our own spiritual condition at times cause us, not condemnation, but conviction, and a conviction that may even cause us to tear up? We live in a war-weary world. If you can look at that woman on her knees in the street, praying over her lost whoever in her family with that blood-drenched sheet over his face, and not be affected on some level, it's because you've seen too much of it 
too often and you've become dull, desensitized. That's what's between you and Christ expressing himself through you, the bombardment of calamity and atrocities to the point where we're just dead, almost inhuman. We must all search our hearts and rectify the situation and be fully who we are, called to be in Christ. For some of us, this will be a big deal. For others of us, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. I, I'm more on the big deal side. Jesus looked at a landscape, a, a skyline of a town, my friend. It's just a skyline of a town. And, and he wept because they were a sheep without a shepherd. What elicited in him tears was the hurt and the pain and the downfall or the, the ill will towards others or their hurt. There it is. Your life might be great. I just don't know how that's relevant. I, I just don't see how that would be relevant at all as to whether or not you weep on behalf of others. If anything, it should be something that... Uh, elicits more of a concern for others. This is Bible we're talking about here. How about others who are hurting deeply or the damnation of souls eternally apart from Christ if you're looking for some subject matter to bum you out? Gratitude for what God has done for you and your awareness of your 195% undeservedness to receive it. I know when I first got saved, I used to sit in the balcony of this church. I'd go every time the door was open. I must have left there two pounds less than I went every time I went. I just bawled like a baby. I didn't even know why. It just flowed right out of me. Christ had come in me and he wanted out. He likes that cycle. In and out, in and out, in and out. If he can early on in our walk get us in and out, in and out, in and out, then later in our walk when it's all about more, not so much, it's all about in and not so much out, at least we've established a pattern. You see, Christ in and tears out. Touch your heart and tears come out. It's a, a visible witness. I would even say that tears dispel sadness. Most people that are really, really down, really, really mourning the loss of a loved one need to mourn. They need to mourn. They need to cry. Cry. Turn it up. Get it out. It's a, a, there's a catharsis that comes with that. Jesus said, blessed are those who've mourned, for they shall be comforted. Most people try not to mourn. Don't try not to mourn. Mourn something. For crying out loud this week, mourn something. And celebrate what's worthy of celebration. I hurt, see, ideally, if someone in this congregation hurts, the closer this congregation gets, someone else hurts too. I'm frustrated there's someone here who's hurting right now. After having been touched by the Lord and healed once, I'm, I'm hurting that someone's having to go through what they're going to. I'm starting to feel it more. I'm starting to ask to feel it more. I'm starting to really get to the point 
where I'm a lot less of me and a lot more of him. Tears. Isaiah 53 and 3, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As he hid, as it were, our faces from him, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Here's an overall summary. I'll give you a general to specific. Hebrews 5, 7, and 9. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. If you got your Bible this morning, let's briefly look at John chapter 11. John 11, 32 to 36. Then, when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, listen to this. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. There are other cultures, there are other, um, well, there's warm cultures and cold cultures. Your Latino cultures are warm, moving towards hot. Your European cultures, your Italians will uh, uh, weep at the drop of a hat. Not so much in the East. Those of you who had the gift of mercy, this is nothing new to you. I'm probably wasting your time. But for the rest of us, for those who have been taught a certain thing in contradiction to the scripture. We, we measure oftentimes whether we love someone by what we verbalize. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. But look at this. Then the Jews said, see, don't hear, see. See how he loved him. See that. The world needs a church. They can see love coming out of their eyeballs. Not in some manip emotionally manipulative way. I'm talking about in a Christ-like way, a real way. To care enough about one another to, to go beyond words. Words run out after a while. This is why you have prayer languages. Words run out at some point in time for different people. It's, uh, it's something. What was it that set him off? What was it that caused him to weep? What, what was that? It was Mary weeping and the Jews that were weeping with her. That's what it was. He hurt because she hurt. Now listen, this is even more than you realize because he already knows he's going to raise him from the dead. He, he could have waited 10 minutes, skipped the weeping, and just went right to the party and didn't. 
You stayed in the moment where they were, and they question his love for them because it took them four days to get there. They question his love for Lazarus because he was in the tomb, didn't come to the funeral, wasn't here, seemingly abandoned them. What did they need to see? They needed to see that he loved them. And how did they see he loved them? If he would have said, now really, if he would have said, I love you guys, come on, bring on, come on Lazarus, come on out, I love you guys, that's one thing. Jesus wept, that's another. We're talking about something totally different. That's like washing feet, you don't need to say nothing. They needed to know he loved them and he showed them. If you haven't caught on yet, one of the prayers after this service as you go home in the weeks ahead, for those of us who are maybe needing a little tenderization, Lord, show me how to show others that I love them. Let the priest weep between the porch and the altar. I get a lot of pastors who watch our service. Listen to me, man. You and I need to figure out how the priest in the book of Joel weep between the porch and the altar. If we, need, if we need to be more adept at that, then we need to be more adept at that. Look at the people around you who are hurting. Jesus responded to Mary's tears with weeping. He groaned, he lamented, he mourned, he grieved. I got some questions for you. What holds back what holds back the prevalence of sin in this world? I think on some level, God observing the tears of his people on another's behalf. Last week I went on about, well I basically viscerated myself uh, with a double-edged sword in my uh, diaphragm multiple times, of which I understand people at the grocery store were talking about late in the afternoon. I guess I made my point. I warned against vain repetition. Jesus said, don't be like the pagans babbling on the street corner, just rambling on to be seen by other men. I accentuated the need to, to pray less. Now, who says that? Pray less if prayer for you is vain repetition. Pray with quality, not quantity. I think on some level, the Father and, the, and our Lord in heaven looked down on this earth, and those of us yielded to the Spirit are interceding for the lost, the oppressed, the hurting, the infirmed. To make my point, if all the tears dried up in the body of Christ, I just have a feeling that's about the time the Antichrist comes. Because at that point, it's safe to say we're not really doing any good. It's pretty much over. It's run its course. Said another way, what, what holds evil back? Is it prayer? Yes and no. It's prayer outside of vain, ritualistic, ceremonial repetition. That kind of prayer holds evil back. 
But when he looks at his bride and he sees a bride that loves the lost, loves their enemy, and is evidenced by what they see, what they see is an occasional tear shed on behalf of another. Through the span of our life, if we're growing and maturing in Christ, if he's got a hold of us and we have a hold of him, if we have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has us, there is a difference then the world, we, one another, will see our love for the lost, for the world, for one another. As Jesus demonstrated a visible love for Mary and the Jews that were in deep, deep distress. In God's economy, he has created us in his image and placed within us he himself, who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, and he himself weeps at the sight of deep pain and travail. We are never more like followers of Christ and we're never more Christ-like or Christ is never more ministering through us than when we weep. Whatever cultural, generational, specific, already been taught to go this way, things that keep us from being that sensitive to one another and to deep pain must be removed if Christ himself will pray through us. Listen, there's a deep difference between prayer and the Spirit of God praying through us. I just gotta tell you this. It is a deep difference between, anytime you've got to sit around and think about and hope to God, and your only prayer is don't call on me, I don't wanna pray in front of other people, that ain't it. That's not it. If you've got to think, organize your thoughts to put a prayer together to pray in front of some other people, spare us. What we need is you on the ready, having already been prepared for the request to say the Spirit of God is in me, he'll show me how to pray. They talk about this, what's, what's it called? Oh, the New Testament. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make your peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. Somehow or another, Christ in you, just like he did then, will do this week for you, this very same thing, is to sense the despair of the lost. The wayward, the confused, the condemned, the oppressed, the suppressed, the repressed, whatever pressed you want. He senses that. It's all we want. We too want to sense it. Because that prayer is soaked and brimming over with authenticity. And it brings no attention to man and it exalts him. That's what this world wants. They want to see it. The only way we tend to show it to him sometimes is hand out food and things like that. That's great. What's wrong with that? What about Christ in you, the hope of glory? What about that? What about Christ in me, the hope of glory? What of him do they see? 
They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept, and then the Jews said, see how he loved them. Psalm 56 and 8, you number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? The psalmist is deeply aware that God is deeply aware of each and every tear. I mean, I get the, he's numbered the hairs on your head thing, but the, he, he's taking inventory of salt drops. It, that must mean something. It, there must be something. To, he collects them. It's like uh, baseball cards. He collects them and then in a bottle. I, I, I tend to think that that bottle, salty and briny as it is, will one day be a fine wine. What's in your bottle? Psalm 30 and 5, for his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night. Uh, hallelujah, but joy comes in the morning. There's two things on this earth that we need to do that we'll not have an opportunity to do in heaven. You might as well get them out there and be done with it. Evangelism and weeping. This is our only shot, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and crying because other people are deeply saddened and hurt and praying out of that sadness and authenticity. Because when you get to heaven, the ministry of crying is over. Revelation 21 and 4, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes and there should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain for the former things have passed away. I have a podcast that accompanies every one of these messages, and this week we're going to talk about D.L. Moody, Robert Murray McKine, and, and others who wept for the lost. They saw the need for it, and they wept for the lost. Christ wept through them. You're never more masculine. You're never more human. You're never more a follower of Christ when your heart is available to be touched in any way, shape, or form, good, bad, or indifferent, and it'll never be indifferent. Whatever is, whatever has been, and whatever will be an impediment to the heart of Jesus Christ weeping for the benefit of others through us Removed. Removed. Never to be reinforced. Never to be augmented. Never to be rationalized. Just removed. That we may, as you saw, be ministers of reconciliation, of truly loving, and that love can be seen in accordance with your word. In Jesus' name.